0: Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ sermon podcast. We're glad that you tuned in. And if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning. I thought uh, we needed a song with a lot of energy, given there's an accountant speaking today. Let me introduce myself. My name is Todd Fraser. Uh, Susan and I have a bunch of milestones in June. Uh, June 9th, 33 years we've been married, and it was awesome. The grace of God and a good wife will take you far in life. Uh, also, we've been members of this congregation. The middle of June will be 33 years that we've been here. So, uh, we we mentioned I don't lead the finance committee. I'm on the finance committee. Uh, Lane and Paul and Phil and I, and we often get the question, do you have to be handsome and athletic to be on the finance committee? (laughs) Clearly the answer is no. But but seriously, uh, they do uh, good work, Phil and Lane, do a lot of work. Um, (coughs) Phil and I were kind of going over some figures. He was checking my math yesterday on a few things, and he mentioned that May 16th was his birthday, and some of you forgot. (laughs) Just some key numbers for you. I'm old enough to remember when the Mall of America first opened, and uh, when it opened, there was all this news about how many stores there were and people flying in from Japan to, you know, for a weekend to shop and all these different things. And there was one story that was kind of interesting, um, and it made us all feel good about being from Minnesota. Uh, and so they did this study where they took 10 wallets to shopping areas in LA and in New York and the Mall of America, and they made it look like they accidentally dropped the wallet. And of course, it took 10 times to lose the wallet in LA. It took 10 times to drop the wallet uh, and lose it in New York City. And at the Mall of America, I think the number was something like, after 23 times, they hadn't lost the first wallet yet. And Minnesota, Midwest, nice, you know, they were picking it up. They'd probably still be at the mall doing the, doing the study. Of, it was probably a Packer fan visiting for the day and took the wallet, hey, look, <laughs> a wallet, and, and took it and left. And so I was thinking, well, maybe that's a good analogy for a sermon. We're Minnesota. We're nice. Um, if God drops his wallet in front of you, give it back. And then I thought, let's see, if we were parenting our kids and we gave them that analogy, would we call that radical generosity? Or would that, That's kind of the least you'd expect of them, right, is to give back what someone dropped in front of them. And so I think we need to think bigger than that. Because it's not just our wallet that God gave us. I mean, it's our very life. Our ability to earn money. Where did it come from? It came from God. And actually, if we look at the scripture um, on the first slide, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And I think it's pretty impressive that if you've traveled this world at all and you think of sunsets you've seen and beaches you've been on and mountains and rivers and some beautiful lake in Minnesota and God says, of all I created, you are my first fruit. That's amazing. Does that sound like a person we can trust when it comes to making tough decisions? Patrick said a few weeks ago that when we focus on ourselves, we tend to have a view that we're in scarcity. But when we focus on God, there's plenty. We need to trust God's promises. And really, it's the greatest resource we have. So any sermon that talks about giving has to talk about the goodness of God. So today, I want to talk about where can we look in Scripture to find a radically generous heart? I wanna look at what kind of attitude will help us and free our hearts, and third, how could that impact this congregation? If you go to the next slide, Jesus, obviously, if you're in Bible school, you know this answer. Jesus is the answer to any kind of example that you need to look at. It really didn't take me very long to look at scriptures, either Jesus talking about himself or others talking about Jesus, to see a pretty quick list of how Jesus had such a radically generous heart. If you go to the next slide. These um, scriptures are just so obvious how much has been given to us by God, by Jesus willing to do all these things. I'll focus on that last one. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to give the greatest gift that was the most sacrificial gift you can think of. And what was his prayer? Abba Father, everything is possible for you, trusting God. (laughs) Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Think about what you do when you have to give something big. Right? I complain to my friends, this isn't fair. Like, why do I have to do this? Like, why do I have to go to this? Um, Right? This is my time. I want my free time. We complain, right? If uh Some of us do this. Maybe not you, but I tend to lash out at the people that are around me. You know, he could have been, Jesus could have been yelling at his disciples. You guys don't get it, you know. I'm over here praying this prayer, and what were the disciples doing? Sleeping. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the support, right? The Romans could have complained about them. He could have complained about uh, the religious rulers that were on their way to, you know, arrest him. Instead what did Jesus do this is from Isaiah 53:7. this describes uh, it's a prophecy but it came true He was oppressed and afflicted yet. He did not open his mouth He was like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth You know one of the things that Susan and I when we have an opportunity to talk to young parents that we do is we say Hey don't try to keep a list of who changed how many diapers. It's just like, an, it's a number you don't want to track. And uh, don't keep track of what amount of the work that you're doing versus what amount of the work I'm doing. Because here's, here's the way the math works with parenting. If, if Susan gives 125% and I give 125%, we come up about 50% short of what you need to parent, right? <laughs> The math doesn't work. It's all hands on deck. Don't make a list. Well, my point is, let's not make a list to try to compare ourselves to Jesus, right? Because if you want to say, am I generous? Of course I'm generous when I compare myself maybe to someone who's completely not generous. How am I compared to Jesus? Flip to the next slide. Let's look at Jesus' list. Okay. Let's look at my life. Sometimes I don't say what I'm thinking. I don't get drunk, right? Occasionally I read the Bible and pray if I've kind of gone through my entire series on Netflix, right, and I listen to KTIS instead of 93X. So clearly I am sacrificially giving throughout my life. Let's not compare ourselves to Jesus, but thankfully when it comes to Jesus, if you go to the next slide, we know what radical generosity looks like. Jesus focused on the joy to come. Do we do that enough? Do we miss the blessings God has in store for us because we're so focused on the stuff? He gave freely. He was silent about it. No complaining, no bragging, right? And when it was hard to give, where did he go? He went in prayer to God. That's how you move to obedience. I think when um, we look at why God wants us to be generous. Matthew 13 is this great parable, right? And there's this, it's called the thorny soil, which I think probably is kind of hard to say over and over. So what's another name we could give it? Let's just call it the American soil. And the American soil gets all tangled up in schedule and things and possessions and the deceitfulness of wealth. Could there be a better example than Solomon? Solomon had it all, right? And this is how, that next slide, is how Solomon describes his life. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure, and yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. This is someone who built buildings. He built the temple. He had uh, gardens. They talk about how many um, wives he had. He talks about throwing parties and then trying to one-up it by having a bigger party. Do the modern-day equivalent. Like, everything he wanted to do, he did. Pickleball, golf, vacation. He was a foodie. He got out to all the new trendy places, and he ate, and he ate, and he drank, and he drank, And then he tried something else. What if I build stuff? People will remember me if I build stuff. And he built and he built, right? Added on to his kitchen and he remodeled the bathrooms and he did this and he did that. And put your modern day equivalent and at the end of the day, it was empty. God's not commanding us to store up treasures in heaven because he needs something from us. His point is, don't waste your time. If you're looking for answers in the stuff you own, in the pursuits you have, you'll lose. Solomon goes on in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Go to the next slide. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of mankind. You know, we often um, think about what our duty is. And as Christians, we look to Ephesians, and we see this great verse in there, for we have been saved by grace, right? It's a free gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. We often forget to go further to Ephesians 2.10, right? Leon reminds me of this verse. It goes on to say, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared for us to do. What, what am I saying with that? Well, Solomon was given all this stuff and he kind of chased after it and tried to be fulfilled by that. And at the end, he said, really all that matters is fearing God and keeping his commandments. Jesus, doing what he does, which is everything for us, boils it down and says, well, here, here's the commandments all summed up. Love God and love others, right? So when I take the free gift that is the grace of God, it should compel me It should move me, it should energize me to serve my wife, to lead my family, to be a good employee, to be a good neighbor, to be a good son and brother, and on and on the list goes. That is the motivation, right? Not to earn God's favor, but because I've been given God's favor through Christ. And just like the parable talks about, when we let the worries of this world choke out our heart and make us greedy and selfish it's not just me who passes up on this peace that I could have had my family is not as blessed as they should have been my workplace is not as good as it could be if I don't show up with a grateful heart if I'm not transformed maybe the people next to me never know about Jesus Right? If I'm not generous, if I spend all that I have to increase my standard of living every time I get a raise, how am I helping the kingdom be built? Build the kingdom here, it starts with us. It starts with a heart that looks to Jesus and says, Thank you for the grace that you've extended to me. When um, I think of this concept of the parable of the sower, It makes me wonder if Charles Dickens didn't have that in mind. If you go to the next slide, a radically generous heart is really a free heart. And as was read in the scripture reading, there's this idea, it almost kind of reminds me of the sin that so entangles us, verse, is we're just entangled in our daily lives so much, we're not transformed, we're tangled up, and, and we're not free, and it weighs on us uh, Charles Dickens, I've kind of, I, every time I talk about giving, I have to talk about Scrooge. And I really missed an opportunity. Um, Alex Ritchie isn't here today, but I could have just had him be the ghost of Jacob Marley and come in here in his <laughs> deep voice and, and kind of speak out what he does. And and if you think of uh, Scrooge is sitting there and Jacob Marley comes back. I mean, Dickens changed how people think about Christmas. He literally changed how people celebrated it. Charity and giving around Christmas time went up like 20-fold after a Christmas girl came out. He like woke up Christians to the fact that maybe it shouldn't be about you when you're celebrating Jesus. Maybe it needs to be about others. And you go to this uh, next slide, and hopefully it doesn't scare the kids, they're at Kingdom (laughs) Club, so. Jacob is coming back and he's warning Scrooge. And he says, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will and of my own free will I wore it. Solomon in the Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a man and it leads to death. That's what Jacob Marley was coming back to tell Scrooge. Now, what's amazing to me, this is like a total accountant kind of thing, right? That's the speech that Jacob Marley gives. And what does Scrooge say? But you were always a good man of business. <laughs> I think you're missing the point here, Scrooge, right? It's like he's going around. And I don't know if you know from reading the books or seeing the movies, but his like condemnation, Jacob Marley's, was to drag around these treasures that he hoarded. He didn't live... Generously, he didn't even spend it on his own comfort. You know, I saw Scrooge's house. No, no light, right? No heat. You know, he just was squirreling it away. And in this scene, it's all chained to him and tethered to him. And he drags it around all day. And he sees the good that he could have done to ease the suffering of people on the streets of London and he tries to do something with it, but now his time has passed and he missed his opportunity. That's his eternal punishment. The fruit that could have been born was never born because of that. And Jacob says, or excuse me, Scrooge is like, hell. Oh, but you were always a good man of business. And this is Jacob's answer. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence, were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It almost sounds like the rich man, from the rich man in Lazarus, who said to Abraham, can I go back and warn my family? Because I've got a lot of siblings that are gonna look like this when the end comes. And what did Abraham say to him? If they won't listen to the prophets, they're not going to listen to you. Right? Let's not miss that opportunity. Right? Let's not be tethered to our belongings. So what does radical generosity look like? In uh, current examples, um, it's, it's amazing that, um, and let's go to the next slide. I don't think you need to look at that the whole time. <laughs> In current surveys, uh, the average Christian gives about 2.5% uh, of their after-tax earnings away. As a point of comparison, during the Great Depression, what do you think that number was? Higher or lower? It was higher, 3.5%. I think it's pretty clear that we've got a generation of Christians that are pretty comfortably living in America. I think it's important to note that all of us should sit back and think about this. Why not the one percenters? How about they take care of the generosity? Right? They've got the wealth. You can give out of wealth. Well, that's a good point. In this world, if your annual income for your household is $39,000 per year or more, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. Do we forget that when we live in the suburbs? We absolutely forget that. And so when God says to us, um, hey, be careful. Don't be hanging on to that stuff. It's not because he needs this stuff from us. If you go to that um, Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For in him we move and we live and we have our very being. God doesn't need us right to give anything to him but he knows for us to really have joy and a heart that actually feels good about what we're doing with the blessings we've been given we need to be generous and so what would a radically generous disciple at this congregation do for us what is possible you know how the budgeting probably goes is like you go, what do we have to spend our money on? And you kind of cover what you have to spend your money on. And what's left to do things that are expanding missions, expanding the outreach in the community, uh, supporting even further the missionaries that are out in the field, it it has to wait. It has to wait until the budget has enough to cover our base. So each year, April 1st is when we start our, our budget period. And for the first time in many years, we're coming into this year, and our cash reserves are pretty much gone. And, and I'll talk about that and why that's true. But on April 1st, this congregation had in the bank, $64,000. It's actually not bad, it's two months of our spend. So that's a pretty good reserve to have. Dave Ramsey would be proud, right? <laughs> And I'm going to talk, though, a little bit about the things that we've been doing and, and, and need to do that um, make me say that we are kind of in a need on a go-forward basis. But first of all, I think it's something that Susan reminds me um, when I'm speaking is, "Don't be sad, don't be angry." And then she also says, "Be thankful." And I'm very thankful for the generosity of this congregation. We see it in many ways. Over the last um, few years, we paid off the mortgage, so pre-pandemic, you know, this land, this building, the wonderful van that may or may not have a catalytic converter, no debt, okay? We um, are not in a commercial area, and so Wi-Fi, in order for us to get it, we had to pay $10,000 so we could get Wi-Fi, not just for us when we're here, and you're thinking we didn't get much for 10K, I know, <laughs> but it does help when we're all not here for our staff to do their jobs throughout the week. Uh, the quality of our water wasn't great, and so we added a filtration system, and I, when I say we, I mean Joey, and it cost us $4,000, but it would have cost us a lot more if not for him. We put in a new parking lot, a sport cart, lights, All that, $200,000 paid for out of our cash reserves. No more loan, we didn't have to go to the bank, we thought we might have to, but we didn't. And we've been waiting for the city of Woodbury, they've been telling us, as long as I've been here, which is over 30 years, hey, there's gonna be some big changes, and there's gonna be road changes, and there's going to be city water, city sewer, and what comes with all that stuff? Assessments. And even though we're, you know, not paying property taxes, we still have to pay for those assessments. We were thinking at one point, based on what the city told us, it could be 150, dollars $200,000. When it was all said and done, this is a praise God moment, it was $22,000. And that included some money that we were able to offset because they um, rented our land during construction, and they also wiped out all of our trees, and they gave us some money for knocking down our sign. So, sometimes with the city, there's blessings and there's curses. But I thank God that that result was good. And you know what happens when you pay off your mortgage and then you pay a big expenditure? What happens at home? Your furnace goes out. Because <laughs> that's the way it works. And $4,000 on the furnace, and of course it would have been even more if not for volunteer labor. We hosted a marriage seminar. You notice that we don't charge for stuff? That's because we want people to come. Marriage seminar, childcare provided, food provided, free. Every year, VBS, free. Vacation Bible School typically has more kids from the community than from our congregation or it's about even, 50-50. That's what God calls us to do. We're happy to do that, right? Don't forget like all these things that have happened, like someone built this here, someone built this, someone built the sound booth. The Verhoeven family sitting back there countless hours through COVID, how did we stay connected because of the Verhoeven family? Online, you know, taping this, not just giving their time, but you know, um, we'd spent five or 10,000 over each of the last years to update that, but that number would have been so much better if not for the Verhoevens. And if you think of it, no special contributions, no plea for help. Just because of the generosity of this congregation, we met those goals. And it's not surprising then that after all that spend, we really are out of cash reserves. We are ordering new chairs. For some of you, that's an amen moment. Those of you that have the back pads, bring your own cushion, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and we paid 10,000 down last year. It's 10,000 more when they arrive in July. We're finally going to have a sign. Some of you that are new, maybe not know, you worship at the Woodbury Church of Christ. It's going to be on a sign. (laughs) Finally going to be on a sign so that people know. This is like, you know, when I I teach a class at Bethel, like when you say what class it is and someone gets up and leaves, someone's like, wait, I'm at the Woodbury Church of (laughs) Christ. So we're going to have this sign. And it's you know we have paid some down but we have to have electricity run to it we have to have building permits because we live in woodbury and you have to have a a base that's made for brick out of brick and all that and that's going to basically take up our cash reserve all those numbers would be much bigger if not for the firm of edwards and frederick and i've made this joke before Um, very unlike scrooge and marley edward Uh, Edwards and Frederick firm here's their motto no job too big no joke too corny (laughs) (laughs) and they're just constantly doing stuff for us and as we look forward this is what we thought we have an incredible staff it's not common for churches of our size to give health insurance or life insurance to their staff really the kingdom of God People are in the ministry and we say, hey, good luck, live by faith, hope you don't need to go to the doctor. No. We're happy to provide that. Do you agree? Yes. Right. We do nothing for their retirement. Our, our costs, two-thirds of our budget are the people. If you throw in mission, you know, 70% of the money that we spend go to our staff and missionaries. Praise God. We're not spending it on buildings, obviously not on chairs every 10, 15 years. And so let's do some math. If that's two thirds of our cost and we want to give a two or 3% raise in this time of inflation, two or 3%, it takes giving to go up one or 2%. That's not adding any ministries. That's assuming none of our electrical costs Our snow plowing last year. was amazing. Um, and it, it costs a lot of money and so our point is we think we're very blessed as a congregation we think God has been good to us that we could accomplish all these things with no debt and we think putting this information out for you to know so you can think about it as you consider what you give to this congregation is important it really takes all members of the body to support this church everybody doing their share. It's not waiting for someone who has more to do it. It's starting now. We give um, kind of in a pretty quiet way. You know, Recently, this was added because some parents said, you know what? Our kids have been here for a few years. They never see giving. Maybe for the next generation, we need to model giving. Good point. Change made, right? Literally change. We have a box in the back, If you, there's a QR code. We actually don't take credit cards because we don't want to support credit card spending. We just think that's, well, I know it's a pain to do the debit cards or to do a check. If this, some of you, this might be the only check you write, and I appreciate that. We just didn't want to support more credit card spending. We think there's enough. And so what is my ask of you? I really, um, When you start listing every activity, you're always gonna forget someone who volunteers. When you think of all the different things that have happened, like I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, the the entryway has some new tile, you know, um, Kevin Glenn, Don Ellison, um, Ron Beck. There's just people that just are constantly at the building doing something to help. And we just can't say thank you enough because it keeps our expenses down. And it just shows a heart of generosity. And we also know that many of you support other Christian organizations. Part of the fruit that you bear for the seed that's been planted in you is to support Christian organizations. And we want you to do that. We also just want you to be mindful that our congregation is trying to do a good work here in our community, and we need to do it together. When um, I was trying to think of of a closing, I kind of struggled. I listened to a lot of sermons on giving and and I just want to remind you that we have budgeted a four percent increase in contribution. And again, keep the math. It takes two percent just to cover some raises to the staff. So two percent to grow things. We have good problems. Our parking lot's full. Our children's rooms are full. We might need more furniture and to rethink how we do the kids' wing. If you've when you drive away, if you ever look at the roof, we might be you know, in need of a new roof eventually. We'd like to build that up so we don't have to go to the bank again and pay today's interest rate for that. That all comes from you all being generous. Jesus um, has given us so much. If we focus on him really giving a little bit more, it's just an outpouring of our thankfulness for what he's done for us. I've heard it say that our giving is a reflection of our understanding of what's been given to us. It's the very same reason why God said, hey, how about you forgive like you've been forgiven? Because God sets the standard, and as followers of Jesus, we try to follow it. So anyway, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up here. I had three alternative endings, okay? And we're going to go through those on some slides. And here's the first one. It'd be nice if everyone would give because we have a budget to meet. (laughs) Next, Chip Ingram said this. It was on a Right Now Media podcast. I want to trust the promises of God to help deploy the resources of God that are in my possession to accomplish the mission of God for the glory of God. That's really why we give. And finally, Dave Ramsey. You have to go to Dave Ramsey, right, (laughs) to finish. Lord, help us gladly and proudly offer everything to you and others in response to how good you have been to me. Let's sing about the goodness of God.